Hello, my name is Anthony Hudson and welcome to my podcast, The Masterminds. Please join me every month as I bring interviews with some of the very best in the world of sports, from top football managers, sports psychologists and the leading experts in the world of analytics, team culture and leadership. This week, I'd like to introduce you to someone who is a leader in the field of applied sports psychology. He has a long list of elite teams he's worked with, including top Premier League teams and Premier League players. To listen to his experiences and education, please welcome Bill Beswick. The culture you know, like the word philosophy, I think they get thrown around very loosely by people in the game and around the game and in the media. And I'm just curious to get your your view of what team culture actually means, what it truly is. Um, I have a friend, Steve Harrison, very good football coach, Aston Villa, England, Middlesbrough. And he is known in the game as Sniffer, because he can walk into a football club and in 10 minutes can decide whether that club is healthy or not healthy. And what he's sniffing and what he's seeing and what he's observing, what he's hearing, is energy, purpose, direction, meaning, enjoyment. And that's what culture is. He's watching human connection driven by a purpose bigger than any individual. So for me, culture lots of people describe it in different ways. For me, culture of a sports club, a sports team, is the quality of the human connections within it, whether they are together, whether it's we, not me, whether they are focused every day, have purpose and direction and momentum. And that's a simple but a very clear way for me of understanding the culture of a club. If, if, you, if you go into a club... And if Harry goes into a club and sniffs and he doesn't see movement, he sees passivity, he doesn't see energy, he doesn't hear noise, he doesn't hear laughter, he doesn't see purpose, then he knows it's a poor culture. So a coach walks into a team and they recognise that it is a poor culture and, and those are the signs that you're, you're seeing and you're sensing. How does a, how does a coach in, in the modern game today where time is so sensitive go about changing that culture really immediately or, or, or can you do it immediately? Is there anything that you can change and make a drastic change or is it something that's built over time? The best example of a, an immediate change of culture was when Pat Riley left Los Angeles Lakers to go to the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks were struggling and he found out they were a team divided, me not we people, uh, there was dissension, there was uh, apathy, lack of purpose. And what he did was on their first meeting, he set the chairs in the room according to the cluster of friendship groups, not in any other shape. So he, asked, he met the players at the door, shook hands with them, welcomed them, and told them to sit on the chair with their name on. And some were in a chair on their own, some were in a group of two, some were in a cluster of three. There was one four, I think. And he walked in when they were all sat down and said, 
this is what people tell me about this team. This is why you don't win. You cannot win while you sat like this. Now, I'm going to leave the room and in 15 minutes come back. And unless you've changed it and become a team, I'm leaving back for Los Angeles. Came back in 15 minutes. The players had readjusted the chairs into a horseshoe with one chair left in front for the coach. And in, I think there's a brilliant example of in 15 minutes, a coach had changed the culture from me to we, from lack of purpose, lack of togetherness, to purpose, meaning, direction. And from there, he could build momentum and, and uh, activity and, and energy. So, and he, was, he had a very successful season. So I think that's what a club, a coach has got to do going into a club with a poor culture. He's got to find a way of creating togetherness, of creating a, a we culture, of giving them a purpose above and beyond themselves. He's got to be inspirational, set a vision that they buy into. He's got to set the vision and he's got to give every day clear direction and purpose and meaning so that they get energy and momentum going into every day. That brings a club to life. Bill, have you, have you ever seen a successful team do it without having some of the characteristics that you've just shared there? I suppose there are a, a, a few examples, and the, the examples are really where you, the, the talent is so much better than the opposition. There are a lot of other things don't matter. And it's rare in competitive soccer, but you do get leagues in which one team is so talented and ahead of the rest that it doesn't matter about the other qualities of teamship. They just can turn up and play and win. But that's very short-term, very unrewarding. Um you get a lot of wins against your name, but you don't get much satisfaction and enjoyment and fulfillment. One thing I'm curious about, um, because I've seen different cultures and I've seen both being successful, is it important for players to have fun and to enjoy the environment? Because there are examples of managers that haven't really had a relationship with the players and haven't really focused on them having a, a fun environment, but, uh, but yet have been successful. Is that possible? Is that how do you see that? Of course, it's possible. It doesn't mean that you don't have an environment with purpose, direction, hard work, effort. But you can do that and wrap around elements of fun. It's very important. Players enjoy the environment. When a player stops enjoying coming to the football club, then you've got problems. So. Part of the responsibility of the coach is to set up an a, a, a positive and enjoyable environment wrapped round hard, relentless, unremitting practice. You cannot escape, if you want to be good, the hard work of improving as an individual and as a team. But there's no reason why you can't, a clever coach with personality and style can make that a meaningful experience, an enjoyable experience, and why the relationships and the culture of the club prevent can prevent any fun, fun just instinctively happening. The best clubs I've worked at were the ones with the most smiles and the most laughter. Part of that is 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 building trust with players. You know, how does how does a coach walk into a club and build trust with players and staff? 
there's a very good equation for trust, an academic equation, but I'll share it with you. And it's it's trust equals credibility. Credibility. The coach has got to be an expert. He's got to have something meaningful to tell players. He's got to convince them he can make the team better and then individually better as soccer players. Credibility plus reliability. The coach has got to put the work in. He's got to be first there. He's got to be last away. He's got to be reliable and and his message has got to be consistent. Then plus intimacy. Intimacy is, do I like this man? Is he warm towards me? Does he care about me? So trust is credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-interest. If a team thinks the coach is in it for themselves, it's a career move. The coach might be moving somewhere else, somewhere bigger. The coach is only there temporarily. The coach wants to win because of his own ego. Then they'll desert him. They won't trust him. So if you put numbers on that, I usually score it out of 10. Credibility plus reliability plus intimacy, maximum 30, divided by amount of self-interest out of 10. You get a quotient for trust. And you need to be on five or more. Certainly, uh, you know, I've been coaching now. Um, I'm 38. I started when I was 24. But even even when I when I first started coaching, but obviously before that, like times have changed and society's changed. And I feel what 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 the modern day player can handle in you know in terms of information, in terms of accountability, in terms of you know a communication style. Um, how do you see that's changed over the years? And and you know how do you view the modern modern player relationship w- with the coach? Well, coaching's I've been in the game for a long, long time, and uh, coaching's always challenging. Each generation of players brings its own particular challenges. This generation of players is no less talented than any generation before, um, but has had a completely different upbringing. It's, it's, it's a generation of the digital age. It's had uh, a more comfortable upbringing. It's, it's, it's got a strong sense of entitlement because it's never w- wanted for anything. And, um, very much a female-dominated generation, both in homes, single parents, and in terms of school, female teachers, um, and and has got more feminine characteristics. Uh, and I think that's, I don't see that, I don't say that in a derogatory way. I think that's a very good thing because they're more caring, more sensitive, more empathetic, more inclusive. Um, and those are great qualities for a human being to have. But they're not easy ones for a, a traditional soccer coach to work with so for example i'm now starting to talk to coaches a lot more about the soft skills of coaching not the hard skills the hard skills coaches traditionally have leading directing driving etc but the soft skills the relationship building the listening the empathy the emotional intelligence these need to be developed by the, the coach of this generation because they won't play for you unless you demonstrate that to them. Um, they've got very high standards of personal interaction. And, and it's back to my point before about self-interest. 
if they see a coach who's interested in themselves above their players, they won't play. Um, they've got choices, this generation. Some years ago, there was no choice. There was no digital age. There was no media explosion. There was no Xbox. You simply went on the street and played soccer. And soccer was what you lived for. But this, this generation has multiple choices of lifestyle. And they've got pretty much a more secure income to base themselves on. We dreamt of being professionals. For this generation, it's a nice option. Just leading on from that, this is this is probably a big big topic here, but I think it's so important. I think so that really listening to what you're saying there, the coach has to demonstrate th these characteristics, what the players need in terms of listening and and showing empathy and caring for the players. How does a coach nowadays, a coach who's developing, a, a coach who's had many years in the game, how, how does a coach proactively improve their emotional intelligence and, and know themselves so they can really have an influence over their team? One of the problems of coaching that I encounter is that the coach that embraces coaching and gives it everything they've got absorbs themselves in coaching and fails to develop as a human being, as a person, becomes a better and better coach or a more experienced coach. So I, when I'm mentoring my coaches, I want them to embrace life because that's how you develop emotional intelligence. You, you, you embrace life and you embrace family and friends and, and social uh, and theatre and cinema or whatever it may be for you, but you embrace life. And, and by embracing life and by meeting different people, you begin to know yourself better, you begin to know others better, you begin to develop emotional intelligence. But the coach that's just stuck on the treadmill of coaching is like the, in my basketball days, the old gym rat. He was always in the gym. All he knew was basketball. Who knows basketball? Who only, who only knows basketball? You've, you know, you need to be a fully rounded person to be interesting and credible to these kids today. And unfortunately, many coaches have dedicated their life to coaching and become narrow, one-dimensional people. So I would say get out, embrace life, make coaching a part of your life, a very enjoyable part of your life, and the other point I'd make, Anthony, is try and find a mentor, or as many of my clients call me, a thinking partner. Somebody with experience of life, not necessarily in soccer, who can reflect with you and meet with you and share the issues you face and give you a different point of view. And perhaps, perhaps if they're really good, tell you the truth about yourself. And I, I see that as fundamental to my role as a coach, uh, an advisor, a mentor, a thinking partner, and a friend. My job, with all my experience of my great age now, is that I'm in a position to tell young coaches the truth. And it hurts, but it's by far the best thing to get help them get to know themselves. Obviously, we've we've known each other for I think going on fourteen years now. <laughs> it's a long time. 
You've had truths in your time, Anthony. Well, Bill, I, I just want to back that point up because I, I have to say, I think it's so important. I think one, I can relate to the coaching side of it, just becoming obsessed with becoming a better coach and, and believing that tactics and systems and philosophies is is the be-all and end-all and, and, and you do sort of overtake and, and overlook your the, the personal side of your life. I can definitely relate to that. But also what you said about having someone in your corner that tell, tells you the truth. Um, you know, ever since I've known you over the last 14 years, I've, I don't think I've had anyone in my life that's really told me the truth because I think, you, you, you know, for many coaches, many people, you can your surroundings are people that don't necessarily want to hurt you, don't want to upset you. But it's the moments that I've had, those truthful moments have been absolutely significant to my development. You know, I, I would recommend that to any coach or, you know, manager to have someone in your corner that is, is, is brave enough and strong enough to be able to come to you and, and tell you what you need to hear rather than what you want to hear. Bill, just off the back of this, I want to, I want to talk about toughness, building toughness. I'm going to start with with coaches. Um, it, you know, football is an unforgiving game. I think you said to me a while ago about it's it's either sunshine or thunder thunderstorms. You know, football is either you, you're winning a game and you're on top of the world, or you're losing and you're the worst thing in the world, or you've lost your job and you're the worst in the world. There's sort of no in between. So for coaches, how how do you build resilience? How do you build t- toughness as a coach? I think the toughness for me is a is a mental quality. It's it's people get in sport get mixed up between physical toughness, which is very important. Um, but what we're talking about is mental toughness, emotional toughness, the ability to stay in the game despite the downsides. So I, I teach my coaches and and the teams I work with that if you are in competitive soccer, there will be Good days, sunshine, there will be bad days, rain. You have to deal with them. You have to deal with them. And the way I teach them to deal with them is is, is when you've got a bad result or a disappointing day on the field, it becomes more of a threat if you don't assess it objectively. If you become emotional, and react to it, oh my God, then you put yourself at a disadvantage, you're showing weakness, your toughness is eroding. But if you have a bad moment, a bad day, a setback, and you deal with it, you interpret it as a challenge, not as a threat, then I think you're beginning to build toughness. Toughness for me is consistently interpreting the difficult, disappointing moments of soccer in a challenging way, not as a threat. Nothing's a threat. Everything's a challenge because it's teaching you how to get better. A defeat is a learning moment. And and I say, Anthony, that I've been very fortunate towards the end of my career. I've been able to pick which coaches I work with. I cannot work with a coach who is not bigger than one result. If, if, if I'm working with a coach, and I'm telling you, I've been the teams and the preparation all week's been brilliant. The team's bubbling. We've done everything right. They've gone on the field magnificently, and they've lost 4-0. And I observe the coach in that situation, and I cannot work with that coach unless the coach can overcome that defeat and move on. 
And the way to overcome it is not to see the defeat as a threat to their ego or to the team. or It's a challenge. For some reason, boys, we weren't good enough today. So therefore, on Monday, we'll start work on being better. That's what toughness is. Toughness is staying in the game. I think somebody much better than me once said that if you're in a fight, toughness is, is staying in the fight one second longer than your opponent. And that seemed to sum it up for me. Can you also give your view about the, the, the job of a manager to, you know, off the back of this? Because there, you know, you talked about sunshine or, or, or thunder and lightning. So what, what's the reality of a manager's job? Because it's not like normal jobs. And, and I, think, I think as managers, you have to understand and accept that things are the way they are. And you have to be able to deal with those situations. But just in, in your view, you can probably articulate it better than me. Like what's, what's the reality of the job of a manager in, in relation to mindset and toughness and resilience? It's an unbelievably difficult job. And and not because you can't do it. Not because you are not good at controlling the things you can control. But it's a job where you're at the mercy of uncontrollables. Things you can do nothing about. And you have to take that every day. And... You are labelled and judged by other people. People have got no knowledge of coaching, no knowledge of team strategy, no knowledge of tactics. But you are judged and evaluated and sometimes ridiculed every day by those people. And you have to endure. Your family has to endure. You have, that's what toughness is. You, you, you can't run away. I have, I was with Steve McLaren when he coached England for two years. I was at his side for those two years. Coaching the English national team is a difficult, difficult challenge. But I realized the challenge wasn't in the coaching. It wasn't in the football. The challenge was in dealing with the unbelievable amount of pressure media, fans, the FA itself puts on the one man, the one single man. They don't blame the team because you can't change a whole team and you don't attack young players. So the coach is an easy target. And I saw Steve, he's, he's one of the toughest men I've ever worked with and I respect him enormously. But I saw Steve suffer for two years. So I think my, my, I have fantastic respect for coaches. I, 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 I was a head coach for our national team, but not in the league of these boys. And I think for somebody to go across that, out on, on the side of the pitch in front of 75,000 people and, and television cameras and take whatever's coming to him on an unscripted drama is, is remarkable takes tremendous toughness, tremendous courage. Not something I could do. So I respect them enormously. Difficult, difficult job. Bill, I want to finish on this. The media. It's such a, and when I say media, social media as well, it's such a huge part of the manager's job, the game today. 
what you said before about emotional intelligence, you know, nowadays it's not it's not enough just to study and become a top coach and be really, you know, you really know your craft in relation to tactics and shape and philosophies. You have to know yourself, but also the media is something you can't ignore now. Social media, media. What would you say to coaches about your view? Is that what the what the media is? How to deal with it? What's your What's your idea around the media? Well, it's a threat or an opportunity. So you have to choose opportunity, um, and it's an opportunity for you to portray the picture of the team that you want the public to believe in. And it's an opportunity for you to give messages to your players. So the, the great managers I've worked with say very positive things about their players in the media and tell them the truth in private. So I would say in Premier League, English Premier League, a good 40% of coaching, managing, is media. It's non-stop, non-stop. We, the managers need to feed, uh, required to feed the daily grind of media ne needs. Stories, stories. If you don't give them a story, they'll make one up. I, I, I do know, and a very, very, very good manager, who used to have a team around him that created stories, harmless stories to the team, but stories the press could run as a, as a headline feature. Because if he didn't create the stories, they would make one up which would be more damaging. So it sounds a bit cynical because I think in, in America, the media are far more sports attuned and, and probably more intelligent in their perception with soccer they're learning to understand soccer the media is not confident enough in its knowledge of soccer to attack but the mls which is i think is going to become one of the top leagues in the world is is beginning to see changes in pressure because it, it as the crowds get bigger the expectations grow higher then the media will feed, will fan the, the flames of that and, and uh, will sell the stories that the, the fans need to hear. So I think it's a necessary evil. I think we should see it as a challenge. I think it's got to be part of a manager's skill. It, it's, it seems strange to say in the education of a coach that you should include media training, but you probably should. And uh, it's not going to go away. What about you know managing your own time and your energy i mean do, do you reckon would you say to coaches about you know you finish a game so just say the results not gone great and you and then then comes the huge amount of social media media negativity how what would you what would you say to coaches about dealing with that like to completely ignore it do you look at it and front up to it what, what would you say to a coach what is the best strategy around that well it's back to my point earlier on about embracing life um a good result or a bad result. We did a thing at Middlesbrough when I was at Middlesbrough with Steve McLaren and, and Harry and people like that. We all went for a meal with our wives after a game. And the first game, we, we joined Middlesbrough as a staff, and the first game we got beat 4-0 four, four by Arsenal at home. 
and Steve didn't turn up for the meal and his wife turned up and all the rest of the staff were there and he didn't turn up and uh, I went and got him. So we can't work with you unless you can deal with situations like this. So I think it's it's about putting football, parking it, parking soccer and going back to your home life and going back to healthy things in your life and staying fresh for soccer. If you can't let soccer go, you'll burn out and you'll finish up not fresh. You won't think clearly. You won't have energy. You, it's just become a treadmill and it'll wear you down. So I think there's a necessary discipline in in, in, in getting away from, from soccer. I have a young coach who's very emotional. He's a lovely, good coach and lovely, lovely guy, but he's got a nice wife and a little girl. And uh, he, he gets very depressed for a defeat. He lives or dies on, on a, the result, unfortunately. I'm working on it. So we have a system where for every game, he carries his golf clubs in his car. And after the game, if they get beat, and he's not in control of his emotions, and I've taught him to recognize that. On the way home, he stops at the driving range, the golf driving range, and, and he has to drive 100 balls and knock them all over 200 yards. And when he's done that, it's out of his system. Then he goes home and sees his wife and child. My wife, when I was coaching the England basketball team and we lost, used to take me home and take me straight upstairs and sit me in between my our two boys, two little blonde boys asleep in their beds. And she used to say, stay there for 10 minutes while I pay the babysitter and make some tea. After 10 minutes of watching my two little boys sleep, wow, did that put that result into perspective? I was back to being a human being again. Bill, that is fantastic. I tell you what, Bill, we've 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 spoken for fourteen years, and every time we speak, I have pages and pages of notes, and it's no different today. I really appreciate that, Bill. I know your time's very very filled up at the moment, so uh, thank you so much for your time and your experience and being so open. All right, Anthony. Thanks to Bill Beswick there. Some fantastic insights into the world of sports psychology. Please join me next as I sit down with one of the most experienced and successful managers in Major League Soccer.